Hey guys, good morning. Um, this is our second week in Philippians 3, 10, and 11. So if you'd like to turn there with me, if you need a Bible, um, Alex and Mike have Bibles. This is our... Yeah, Children's Church is running if you guys want to... Probably, they'd probably be more excited about it than listening to me. So... <laughs> <clears throat> so Philippians 3, 10 and 11, this is um, a three-week series we're doing, um, coming up to Easter. Every year, as a pastor, and you come to Easter, you're excited a lot like a quarterback whose team made it to the Super Bowl, because you're like, we're going to win this one, right? You're like, you're excited because, because it is like, it is the ultimate event that you look forward not to an event like, like our church is going to do super cool things, but it, it's, it's what everything in Christianity centers around is the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you come to it and there's this like, this anticipation of what's going to happen, right? Because there is, and as you read in this verse, there is a power in the resurrection that is incomparable with anything else the world's ever seen before. Right? And so coming up to Easter, you're like, <sighs> how are we going to do this? Um, and so every year, wanting, wanting it to be alive again, wanting it to be something that, that you guys hear in a really fresh way, wanting it to be something that I hear in a fresh way. Right? And so... Our goal coming at it um, with Philippians 3.10 was going, what, what really happens in Jesus' suffering? What really happens in his death? What really happens in his resurrection? And, um, and what, do we, what does it look like for us to participate? And as we were asking those questions, I, I haven't read Philippians 3.10 and 11, and I was like, that's it. Like, it just lists them out there so simply and perfectly. So read it with me, and, and we'll dive into the second part of, of the series, which is looking on becoming like him in his death. So Philippians 3, 10 and 11 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to read it again. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. The first part of this is, um, you know, I can't ever read this without thinking of this. Um, I grew up knowing that Philippians 3.10 was my dad's favorite verse. Right? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I knew that if we ever made a gravestone for him, that's what we would put on it. It's kind of weird to say, right? But it's true, right? I want to know Christ. And that, that, is, a good, that is a good epitaph, right? That, that is the goal, that's the, the purpose, that's the point of my life. Everything is wrapped around that. I want to know him. And I, and I hope as we enter this and as we go through these weeks and his suffering and his death and his resurrection, the whole bent of our hearts is I want to know him. Some of us will come at that just going, I want to know what people are talking about when they talk about him. <laughs> right? Because they might talk to Dave, my dad, and go, like, I hear Dave talk about Christ. I want to know Christ. Dave's like, I've known Christ for, 
I won't it would say how old you are if I said how long you wanted to know it. <laughs> but I, I want to know him this long. That's a safe way to say it. And someone's like, how is it that he could that, that, that passion for one person can be sustained for that long? And it's so all-encompassing. It's so like, like, why do Christians talk about Jesus so much? It's weird. It's like they're obsessed with him or something. But the Bible, this is the theme. I want to know Jesus. So for some people saying, I want to know what it means to know Jesus, there's this beautiful little prayer by John Stott in the book, Basic Christianity. that He just recommends, as people read the book, they pray this. And, and this is what it says, God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you can bear this prayer, and I don't know if you can, I want to tell you that I'm an honest seeker after truth. Show me if Jesus is your son and savior of the world. And if you bring conviction to mind, I will trust him as savior and follow him as Lord. And that's good. And I recommend for you who are coming going, like, I want to know what people are talking about when they talk about Jesus, to pray that prayer. God, if you exist, and I don't, I'm not sure if you do, and you can bear this prayer, and I'm not sure if you can, right? Give me conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. And as we go through these things, I hope, as we hit each point, that you will start going, you will start having this conviction of Jesus is who the Bible says he is, who he says he is. But for those who have come to see Jesus um, as King of kings and Lord of lords, you'll just know instinctively that he's just different. There's this great quote, um, it says, if Shakespeare came into the room, we would rise up and meet him. But if Jesus came into the room, we would fall down and kiss the hem of his garment. Right? There's just something different about Jesus. Right? If, you, if you hear about a person of honor, you might want to you know, get to know him. But if you meet Jesus, you just like, like Isaiah, it's like, I'm just a man of unclean lips. Like, don't even look at me. What makes Jesus different? What makes him different? And I think in finding out what makes him so, so different, we'll find out um, why his death and resurrection are so beautiful and important. So, Jesus, we want to know him. The only way to know him is through these three things, I think. Suffering, death, resurrection. Um... And, and for you coming in, maybe even if you've grown up in the church, you might still be wrestling with these questions like, why these three things? Especially the first two, suffering and death. Right? It sounds a little morbid, doesn't it? Like, that's probably not like what you chat with your buddies while you're playing Monopoly, right? Suffering and death. I probably wouldn't go to that party if you did. Um, right? so, so why are these things so crucial to, to us coming to know Jesus, and it will be explained in, in this. Becoming like him in his death. What does that mean? What does it mean to become like someone or anyone in their death? <clears throat> Especially the death of Jesus, though, because Jesus' death, um, Luther said, never a man feared death like this man. When we come to Jesus' death, it's not like, I heard it described once by a buddy who was preaching a sermon, he's like, it's not like we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, or before he is like, 
like where we'd hope to find him. Right? Where we'd hope to find Jesus is this like this Superman, right? Like, like just like I'm ready for whatever is to come, right? Like, like Satan's assaulting him. He's like, uh-uh, right? And he's just like he's cruising through with flying colors, like. But that's not the person we find. We find Jesus, a man absolutely agonizing over what he's about to be addressed by. That's the Jesus we find here. And so this is startling. What does it mean to become like Jesus in his death? When Jesus himself faced death, and who we're claiming is facing death here, and we'll talk about this, is is God himself. God himself facing death. And God himself is saying things like, if this cup could be taken from me, that would be easier. What does it look like to become like Jesus in his death? And the only way we can understand this is by talking with the things, about the things that we just don't want to talk about. Um, namely, sin. <laughs> and, and honestly, like even being a Christian for a long time, I don't always know how to talk about sin because it's not like something I like people bringing up to me. Like, hey, Daniel, if someone called me and was like, hey, I want to mention a couple of sins I've noticed in your life, <laughs> I'd probably be like, yeah, you know, I've got, I've got something available in July. Like, I think we can get together. You know, like, that's not something. So, so as a pastor, I want to let you know that I'm not eager <laughs> to just raise it up. Like, let's just talk about sin. <laughs> but, but why? So why do we? Why do we address sin? And, and this is at the root of why Jesus experienced so much agony. Because sin is the primary factor of separation in the, in the world, so in, in our lives, between our relationship and God, but even in, in this world, the brokenness of the world, sin, what that means is merely separation, right? It's this separation between us and having just a, a free, awesome, loving relationship with God. If sin didn't exist, we'd be chilling with God, like it was with the God, just hanging out, having a good time, like he intended it to be, right? Life. Peace, joy, comfort would all be the roots of that relationship and we'd just be able to be there. But, but why don't we have that sin? Okay? So when we talk about sin, it's not like this finger wagging like, like, you sinner. But, but when we talk about sin, it's going, like we are living separately from God. And so our existence... Our existence is just a participation in sin. And what Jesus did in approaching the cross was to address that issue of sin by taking it upon himself. So never a man feared death like this because Jesus approaching it was going, I am preparing to deal with sin finally and for good. But what that meant was for him to feel the profound weight, like like you would never know and understand the profound weight of going from, from perfect God in relationship with God for all eternity to bearing sin and feeling that separation. And what, what you guys live with, what we live with on this daily basis of just separation and have learned to just to cope, Jesus is going, I, I'm taking all that on me. 
and, and we can't see it as this, like, this general, like, how he just took sin. But every, every participation, every act of sinfulness as we live out in this separation with God, it wasn't like he was just like, like this blob of sin, but it was every single one dealt with, right? Past, present, future, Jesus was addressing when he approached the cross and died. And that's amazing. So when he was having agony, when he was having absolute agony, it wasn't just for this this general sin, but it was your sin and my sin and, and the billions of people that have lived, right? Taking their sin on him. And so we come to this reality shifting when we come to the story of the Bible and we're forced into seeing reality in a different way. Is because our terror of death isn't the terror Jesus had of death. Jesus' terror of death was that separation from God, but we just live in that. And so our terror of death is just this final extinction because this is all we know. But Jesus approached it in a very different way and he bore our sickness in a way no one else could. So how do we, how do we become like that? Well, the, the, the only way we can become like that is by what is described here as conforming to that. Literally, it's not saying be transformed into his death because that's something we could not do. But the word here is literally conform. Be conformed to the likeness of the death. So it's us learning to participate in it some crazy way. Because Jesus' death was a death that you could not die. And this is when the, the, like the cool part comes. <laughs> so what does it mean to become like him in his death? How do we become like someone in their death when, when he's doing something we can't do? How do we, how do we become like that? Well, I'm going to show you two things really quick. It just says Jesus did what we can't do. And, and find a lot of joy in that, hopefully. Um, well, the first thing is this. Uh, I had this massive um, time of relief. When I was done with college, I, I was leading this college ministry and um, didn't do the best job at it. So I probably could. And this is why. is because I really thought that I could save people. <laughs> um, and, and I was like the hero and so cool and and then I just came to this time of real brokenness. And I, I remember coming to uh, John 3. And, you know, we're pretty familiar with John 3.16. But at the, after that, there's this time where, where people come to John the Baptist. And they're like, hey, Jesus is baptizing more people than you. Like, people are just running after him. And, and you're, not, you're not popular anymore. And, and this is what John the Baptist says. He says, I am not the Christ but I've come ahead of him and I look forward to him, right? And, and as I read that, I came to this time of brokenness because I was like, I can't, like I tried so hard to be everything for people and then I came to this and I was like, hallelujah, like I have a savior, right? And, and so when we come and become like him in his death, first we have to acknowledge what he did that we could not do and how absolutely awesome that is, <laughs> Um, and so as we leave this, I, I don't want you guys to be thinking like, 
Like, okay, so I need to go out and like sacrifice myself so other people can be saved. That's not what becoming like him in his death is at all, right? You're going to burn out super quick because you can't save anybody. So what Jesus did that we could not do, and then we'll find out how we really can be conformed to him. Um, the first thing is Jesus is God and we are people. Seems very basic. <laughs> but why Jesus died the death we could not die is because Jesus is God and, and we are people. To know Jesus is to know God. To see him is to see God. And these are all taken from verses through John, Mark, Matthew. To believe Jesus is to believe in God. To receive Jesus is to receive God. To hate Jesus is to hate God. And to honor Jesus is to honor God. These are all just verses in the Bible, right? Why Jesus could do what he could do is because Jesus is God. Right? And he died, he died a death we could not do. He paid a price we could not pay because Jesus is God taking care of the problem. And that's what's so cool about it. This is a line I share all the time, and, and it was when I was preparing a sermon probably two years ago, and, and honestly, this just kind of encompassed so much of the gospel for me, it was that, that reconciliation was in the heart and mind of God before it was in the heart and mind of any of us, right? Reconciliate, which means bringing back into relationship with God was in the heart and mind of God before it was in our heart and mind. And, and the reversal of that is usually we think we're the ones like, I need you, where are you? Why can't you help me? But the reversal here, Jesus died a death we could not die because Jesus is God and God all along was plotting for our restoration to relationship with himself. And so he is planning how that can happen, how to solve the problem himself because you can't. Because only God can. And it was in his heart and mind to restore people to himself for good. And that is good news. It's not you crying out, well, God, when will you show up? But it's God going, look what I've made available. God himself being the answer. Second thing is Jesus lived and we were dead. That's the major difference in why Jesus died a death we could not pay. In Acts, it calls Jesus the author of life. Throughout the scripture, it says, through him we were created. Right? So Jesus is life and life itself we're in Romans. Right? It talks about how sin reigned in our mortal bodies. In Romans 5 it says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is good news. So Jesus is dying a death we could not Die. He's paying a price we could not pay because God himself is solving the problem and God is bringing life into our death. There's this, in Ephesians 2, there's this powerful um, part where it just says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You were dead. And so when we talk about sin and this separation from God, we don't savor it, right? It's not like, Oh, let's talk about sin, because that's fun. We're talking about because we're going, how can we deal with this separation that we're all feeling? Right? And turn and be restored. And 
And that, that sin and that death is so important to talk about because, because what Jesus is offering is life. And we want to be able to participate in that fully. So how does that happen? It happens through his death, his, the, the price he paid that we could not. So how can we be conformed? And this is, this is how we can be conformed. And this is simply it. And this might, be, me, might seem too simple for it, it to be true. And this is it. Obedience. How can we be conformed to his death if he died a death we could not, paid a price that we could not? And it is simply this. We can be conformed to the likeness in his death by obedience. In Philippians 2, it said he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In John 12, which I mentioned earlier, it says, he goes, if this cup can be taken away from me, <laughs> maybe, but he goes, but not my will, but yours be done. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says, During his life on earth, he cried out with loud prayers and petitions to the one who can save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Right? And so Jesus paid the price we could not, not merely because he was God, because that's when we go, oh, he's just there like Superman, right? Like, paying the price for you, right? Like, well, thank you, Jesus. You just came in. You know, it's not like this quick, like, come down, boom. It's, it's him coming down, paying the price we could not because he obeyed in a way that we never did, right? And so he's doing everything that we did not and could not and being obedient. And the only way we can participate in that death, which, which Paul is, is saying, I want, to, I want to know Christ. And the way I know Christ is by, by, by becoming like him. And the way we become like him is obedience. And, and this is why. Because the greatest thing you can do, and this is cool because this is really simple, the greatest thing you can do is participate through obedience. The greatest thing you can do is participate through obedience. The greatest thing you can do isn't go over and lose your life overseas by getting killed, okay? Like, like I'm going to go give my life for people who don't know Jesus and get killed, right? And you can think all romantically about this, and then Jesus will be happy, right? Or, or like, I, you know, I just need to serve more, and then Jesus can be happy, right? Or I need to do this, but this, that's not it, Right? Obedience is the greatest way to participate in what God has freely given you in Christ Jesus. Obedience. But you know why we don't? Because we just don't like obeying. Right? How often? I, there's a story I shared, actually. This is, this, is a, this is a helpful one, I think. I shared it before. Right? Imagine that... Um, this might be hard to imagine, but... It'll be true. Uh, it'll, it'll hopefully someday, right? Imagine that I have children. <laughs> Thank you, Rocky, for that support. Okay. Um, right, and I have a, a beautiful little daughter. Um, and I would tell you what I would name her, but then you'd steal the name. No. <laughs> okay, we'll call her... We'll call her Brittany. Okay. <laughs> and, um, okay, and imagine I, I said, Brittany, I, um, your room's a mess. Could you go please clean your room? And Brittany goes, she comes back a little bit later. And I go, uh, Brittany, did you clean your room? And she goes, no, I, uh, I actually wrote a song about how to clean my room. And then I invited some friends over and we 
prayed about cleaning rooms. Um, and I was like, Brittany, I just want you to clean your room. And, and so she goes back. And then comes back later, and I'm like, Brittany, do you clean your room? She's like, no, well, I... When you said clean your room, that really impacted me. And so I thought about it. I looked, I looked back at the original language, clean thou room, and I was just... I was just moved by the sheer beauty of those words. And, and I was like, Brittany, I just want you to clean your room. Right? Um, and, and this is what we do, though. Right? Like, we don't read this thing and do it. We like talking about it. Right? And, and the amazing thing with Jesus' obedience is God wasn't just talking about bringing the world back to himself. When he, he told Abraham the promise of the covenant that he would bless all peoples of the world through him and through the seed. And he plotted and he planned. And you just see his plan of redemption streamlining throughout the whole Bible. Right? God is serious about what he's saying and he's fulfilling it. And Jesus is coming down to fulfill that. But it's serious and it's real. Right? It's so real that he is like in agony over what it means for him to really take sin on himself. Your sin on himself. This isn't a fancy book. Right? When, when he was coming to the cross, right, he screamed things like, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is your cry. Right? There are times I know in your life and in mine when we have that cry. And Jesus cried that same desperate, what's going on? And that was the reality of what he took on himself. And that's the reality of this book. It's not just trying to be fancy. But it's going, Jesus' obedience meant something in reality. So how do we participate in that? And the only way we can participate in that is by participating in obedience. Realizing that he is really saying something and he's really asking you to follow through. Two. So what, three things really quick, and, and I hope this kind of solidifies the role he's playing in his obedience and the role that he's calling us to play in our obedience in conforming to him. The first is Jesus' obedience meant atonement for sin, whereas our obedience means living free from sin. Right? Jesus' obedience means atonement for sin, which means God's not counting your sin against you anymore. But your obedience means that you can live free in sin. And if you don't obey, you're not going to live free. You cannot live in rebellion and live free. Okay? In Romans 5, 6, or, oh, sorry, 6, 5, it says, If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. <laughs> That's conformity with him, right? He's atoning for it, but we're participating in it so we can be freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way... This is conformity. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Right? In your obedience, you have the ability to live and participate in the freedom Jesus bought for you. 
right? And no longer obey the pattern of this world. And that is beautiful. So point number one, Jesus' obedience is saying, I'm atoning for it. Your sin can be forgiven. But in your obedience, it's a participation in that. If you don't participate in that, you're not going to enjoy it. Serious word. Second thing, Jesus' obedience purchased for us eternal life and our obedience allows us to participate in that now. Okay? So Jesus' obedience unto death bought for us eternal life. Right? A life where in 1 Corinthians 15 it says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? So there doesn't have to be fear of death anymore. But unless we obey, we will not participate in that relationship now. Right? I know people who are Christians who aren't participating in that right now. They're, 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 and they still have these fears of death because there isn't that participation. There isn't that reality of Jesus obeyed and by conforming, becoming like him in his death, I can participate in what? In the reality of that now, that, that my affections, my heart, even my perspective is, is changing from just now to the eternal, Right? Hebrews uh, 11 is full of this, the Hall of Fame of Faith. It says, you know, they saw, um, the, you know, they trusted the architect uh, the, who was building a city not of this world, right? That these men who looked beyond, and so they didn't just invest in beyond, but they invested here too, right? Because they, they so knew that Jesus was buying for them something that was eternal, that they were like, man, like, I just got maybe 80 years if, it's, if I'm healthy, if I keep running, maybe. But I got 80 years here, but there's an eternal. And, and that's what Jesus bought by his obedience for me. And so in my obedience, I get to participate in that relationship now and just get so, swept up in something much greater than my little kingdom here. In Galatians 2.20, this is possibly my favorite verse. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Right? Amen. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beautiful transformation. Third and final point. Jesus' obedience bears the wrath of God against sin. And in our obedience, we find peace. Right? So Jesus' obedience bore the wrath of God against sin as he took that upon himself. In our obedience, we can have true and genuine peace. In Romans 5, it says, Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Guys, and this is, this is the goodness of the gospel. We talk about sin because sin is a reality and sin is a separation. Because if we ignored it, we wouldn't even understand why Jesus came. We wouldn't understand this agony of his death on the cross. Um, And so this death, as it is cruel and it is hard, in his obedience unto death we find something so beautiful because we find God 
who is loving people and reversing this pattern of death by taking sin on himself. So, how do we apply this to our lives? Um, I'm going to apply this to our lives simply by, by reemphasizing a couple points that we already made. So, our greatest act we can do on this earth is merely participating by obedience. Right? The greatest thing we can do on this earth is merely participating by obedience. And by obedience, number one, in this, in saying, Jesus, you, in your obedience, took my sin upon yourself. And so in my obedience, I'm going to come to you and say, be my Lord and Savior. Right? Our greatest act we can do on this earth is by participating through obedience. And, um, and, and honestly, some of you probably want more than that. Right? You're like, no, I want to do something that I can like, take care of my own sin. And you're like, going to work really hard at that for a long time and be totally disappointed. Because <laughs> you're going to keep going like, no, I can do this myself. Like, I can make myself pleasing and I can restore my relationship with God. And Jesus, God's like, no, you can't. Like, all I'm asking you to do is to obey. Trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Right? So obedience, guys, if you get that, you get what it means to be a Christian. And then these three things follow. Living free from sin, participating in that relationship now, and having true, genuine peace with God. This is what the death of Jesus means for us, that, that sin was finally buried with him. And so as we approach Easter, and, and we, this is the cool thing, guys, is like, you're probably kind of stoked by this, maybe a little bit, like, sweet, sin done away with, right? But the amazing thing is that next week we get to talk about life. So this isn't it, right? So I had this hard task of talking about death and what that means, the thing we don't want to talk about, right? We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about hell. But we talk about it because it is a reality, right? I, had, I talked with a buddy this last week who was wrestling with his faith, grew up in a Christian home, and, and he was like, wrestling with this, and I said, I said to him, I said, you know, the amazing thing is, I go, you know, we can talk about things all day, but, but the re- reality, you know what reality is? <laughs> I said, reality is what has always existed, but we just haven't acknowledged. Isn't that cool? Reality isn't like, oh, I need to figure out reality. It's like, you've been living in it all along. <laughs> all along, we've been participating in reality, but we've been trying to figure out how to describe it. Or, or what does it mean? Why do I feel separation or love or anxiety or fear over these things? That, like, what is reality? And you are living in it right now. You know, that, isn't that cool? <laughs> and so all we do is, by, by trying to understand the scripture and preach it faithfully, is by going, what is this, this reality of, of death? <laughs> right? The reality of death is sin. And that reality was solved through Jesus' obedience. You guys get that? And through obedience, we can participate in the freedom that he has bought through that death. And in his resurrection, which we'll talk about next week, there is immense power that we can participate in that conquers every fear we know. Um, So I just encourage you guys to come back next week as we talk about the resurrection. Um, Because in the death of Jesus... um, there's so much beauty, but in his resurrection, there's even more. Because we just see, honestly, as we talk about participating in reality, we just see in his resurrection, like, honestly, my heart just goes, 
yes. <laughs> I've been waiting for death to be broken. Right? <laughs> I've been waiting for that moment where I realize that death isn't final. Right? And that there's, there's something more powerful than that. And in the resurrection, we get all that and more. So, so the death of Jesus is good in that it solves the problem of sin. But in the resurrection, man, we just we find reasons to celebrate every day. So... Pray with me and we will celebrate through taking of his communion, um, his death for us, as we look forward to his resurrection. Guys, we talked today, the word freedom just kept coming to mind. Um, and that, God, by your death, we can be free. And I, I ask for us, God, I long for us as a church, and even myself, just to be able to participate in that freedom. And in, in your suffering and death, and ultimately in your resurrection, you're just saying, like, be free, experience freedom. Like, don't be bound by sin any longer. Love and be in relationship with God. And, and I pray that that will just be the theme that, that we carry into this time of worship as we see you and celebrate what you're doing and what you have done in history. God, you've been so good to us. We love you. Praise things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.